We're going to read together this evening the first 18 verses of James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Amen, and we do thank God for his word. Be great if you could turn in your Bibles to James chapter one, and we're going to look together at verses 12 through 18. Nigel lets me do one-off series in Hill Street. Doesn't ask me to share in his series. So we're in James chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. And I want to begin by reading to you again verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. A friend of mine recently had some health symptoms that were really, really worrying. When he described them to me, he immediately could see on my face, I'm not a doctor, but I've been a minister long enough to get the free medical education that all ministers get, and could see immediately on my face the horror as he described the symptoms to me, and of course, my prayers for him as he went to the doctor. Thankfully, when he went to the doctor, it was the absolutely best outcome, so that was great. But imagine 
he'd gone to the doctor, and unknown to him, the doctor, although he had done well in his medical exams and loved people and was a kindly man, never liked saying anything that was difficult or negative to anybody. And so could nearly never bring himself to tell anybody if the news was bad. And so whatever the diagnosis was of the symptoms and the situation a patient brought to him, he would always tell them it was the best of all possible outcomes. Many of us have been in that situation. We've had the symptoms. We've been to the doctor. And the last thing that you would want in that situation is a doctor who wouldn't tell you the truth particularly if in the situation you were in, there was a treatment that could heal you, that would bring you back to your spouse and to your children, to your wider family, to your friends and to your work. Imagine how you would feel in that situation if six months later as you were about to die, you looked back and thought to yourself, the reason why I'm about to die is the doctor didn't have the guts to tell me what was really wrong with me. Now, none of us tonight would say that that doctor was a good man. None of us would say that that doctor was a loving man. We might say that doctor was a coward. And we might say he was an evil man. Now, you may have asked yourself this week as the media storm blew up over the Presbyterian Church in Ireland, what on earth possessed the General Assembly of 535 Presbyterian congregations gathering in General Assembly in Belfast to address the most controversial issue in the United Kingdom, and one that was absolutely bound to cause a media storm. I mean, what possessed those delegates, those ministers and elders from all those congregations to grab the live rail in full view of the media who we had invited into the building to do their radio recordings and bring in their television cameras. And the reason the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland did what it did and said what it said is very, very simple. On the day of judgment, the elders and ministers of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland do not want to be treated by God as we would treat that doctor who had lied to us. You do not need pastors and elders who will tell you what you want to hear. You need pastors and elders who will tell you what God's word says and what you need to hear. My soul does not need to hear lies. My soul needs to hear truth. And the reason why we need to hear the truth is that the Christian life is a pilgrimage. These people to whom James wrote his letter were about to enter storms of persecution. There would be endless persecution in the first centuries of the church. The church was blown around and buffeted in great storms. When the Council of Nicaea met many years later in 325 AD, one historian said, I think there were eight bishops and pastors at the Council of Nicaea 
who did not bear in their bodies the marks of torture, men who had lost limbs and eyes and bore scars for Jesus Christ. The church was about to enter into a great season of suffering. James says in verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. The church was entering into a world very, very like the world we are now in. The early church called it paganism. And we are sailing straight into the storm of a renewed paganism. And what is happening all around us, the changes to laws and abortion and marriage and euthanasia, which is next, these are all the fruits of paganism. Let's not call it secularism. That's too high a term for it. It is godless paganism. And I want to bring to you this evening from God's Word two keys, two lenses that will help you understand yourself and what is going on and God's remedy in the midst of this paganism. These two keys or lenses, they come in verses 13 to 18. James very simply talks to the church about where sin comes from and where goodness comes from. And if you can leave church this evening knowing the answer to these two questions, you will have great wisdom as we seek to run with perseverance the race marked out before us in an increasingly hostile and pagan generation. If you want the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him, you need to take up a cross and follow Jesus. And it can never be easy to take up a cross. It can never be easy to run a long-distance race with perseverance. It is never easy to fight and to win. So the first thing James tells us this evening is where sin and evil come from. Verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now, there's no shortage of opportunities to talk to people at the minute. I mean, if you ever wanted the ability to talk to people about Jesus, all you need to do tomorrow in work is say with a smile, I'm a Presbyterian. Or one of those monsters from Union College was speaking last night at our church. Be easy to talk to people. What are you going to talk to them about? Can I give you a topic of conversation that you might want to throw out tomorrow around the water cooler at school coffee time? How about this? Do you think people are really good? Or do you think people are really bad? Like, really, deep down inside, what do you think? Are people really good? or people really bad. And I suggest you this evening, if you have that conversation this week at work or with friends or family or at the five-a-side football during the week, and you ask them that question, most people will say to you, I think actually most people are really good deep inside. This is one of the great marks of paganism. 
paganism believes that people are essentially, inherently good. Of course, the Bible says that we were created good. In fact, very good, the Bible says. Mankind, male and female, is the pinnacle of God's creation, made in his image. We are creatures of great inherent dignity and reflected glory. The weight of God's glory rests upon us as the image bearers of God. But the Bible tells us that not only are we the very good creatures of Genesis 1 and 2, but we are the fallen creatures of Genesis 3. In fact, our fallenness is so frightening and so serious because we came to that fallen state with such dignity and glory. It was not a mere creature of the dust who rebelled against God. It was Adam made like his creator in God's image and likeness. And so the rebellion of the human race is the twisting and destruction of something inexhaustibly glorious. That is why our power to do evil is so strong, why the desires that are in us seem at times so irresistible. And James describes it like this. He says, God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when by his, do you see that in verse 14? His own evil desire. Now in the Reformed faith, we have a great doctrine. Doesn't sound great, but it is a great doctrine. The doctrine of total depravity. Now, the doctrine of total depravity is a biblical doctrine. It doesn't say, it doesn't mean that we are as completely evil as it's possible to be, because God often restrains us from sin, and in His mercy leads people in good paths. But the doctrine of total depravity teaches that right throughout our whole being, we are estranged from our Creator. We are rebellious against our Creator. And James says, deep down in our being, at the level of our hearts, the level of who we are, at the level of our motivation, of our inclination, the word James uses, desire, we possess evil. Notice how James puts it. He doesn't describe this evil as an alien intruder within us. This is not some sort of horrible science fiction movie where evil is eventually going to be born out of our bodies and our, we'll be left without evil tormenting us anymore. No, verse 14, it is his own evil desire. This is the evil desire of the creature. Deep, deep within us. Beyond the facade of goodness, deep within us, the Bible teaches we are twisted, we are fallen, we are separated from our Creator, and we hate our Creator, and we hate His ways. God is light, the Bible says, and in Him is no darkness at all, and deep, deep, deep within us is darkness. I wonder, do you believe that this evening? 
I don't mean do you believe that just with your head, but do you know this in your heart? Do you come to worship this evening conscious that when we say the words, we have no other foundation but Jesus' blood and righteousness, that that the reason you say that is that you know this to be true, not just from theology, but from experience. You know this from the experience of your own heart. In fact, you frighten yourself at times, even as a Christian, maybe even as a Christian who has been a Christian for many years, you frighten yourself with the things you think, the things you desire, the things that you would do, maybe the things you've tried to do and God has restrained you. You see, if you were being honest tonight or honest tomorrow at work and you were asked the question, are we really good or evil? I wonder, would you say from a true experience of your own heart that I am not good? Deep within me is evil. Abraham and David are the two greatest men of the Old Testament. Paul tells us that in Romans 4. David, the greatest of all the kings. David, who committed adultery with Bathsheba, who arranged for the death of Uriah the Hittite, who betrayed not only his family, but his kingdom in his sin. And when David came to his senses, and he wrote Psalm 51, he started with the weight of sin. He said of himself, I possess transgressions, Psalm 51 verse 1, iniquity, Psalm 51 verse 2, evil, Psalm 51 verse 4. Transgressions means there is a line that you do not cross, and you crossed it. And you did it deliberately with full knowledge that you were doing something that was wrong. That's a transgression. Iniquity in the Bible is the twistedness of our inner being. It's the corruption of our motivations. It's the principle that leads us astray. Evil is the darkness that we crave rather than the light. And David's great confession Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And so when our Lord Jesus Christ came as the great king and prophet of God to preach the good news of the kingdom, the Lord Jesus Christ preached the sinfulness of the human heart. Now many things are said in the media about the teaching of Jesus. And my usual thought when I hear the media comment on the teaching of Jesus is that there are Bibles in Northern Ireland and you would quite be at liberty to get one and read for yourself what Jesus actually taught. But Jesus did not teach a message of universal compassion and tolerance and acceptance of one another. Jesus said these words in Mark chapter 7. He went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, 
arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Jesus is the great doctor of the soul. And he has never lied to a single one of his patients. He's never bottled the diagnosis. He's never told a patient an easy story when they needed to hear the true story. No, Jesus says the problem of mankind is the problem of the human heart. One of the great, greatest preachers of the 19th century was the Scottish preacher Robert Murray McShane, great missionary to the Jewish people, minister in Dundee. Robert Murray McShane once said, there is the seed of every known sin in my heart. Brothers and sisters, do you know that tonight? There is the seed of every known sin in your and my heart. The cultural situation we are in is encouraging the church to think that there is a them and us. There's the church and there's this other group of people. This other group of people who label themselves and who are labeled by other people. Let's not let it become them and us. It's not the sinners out there and the righteous in here. It's sinners who know they're sinners and who need God's grace. And it's those who have yet to find it. And our job in the gospel is to make sure they find the grace that can deliver them from themselves. But our war is not against flesh and blood. We're not in a culture war. We're not at war with people. We're not right and they're wrong. We're broken and they're broken and we need God's grace and only God's grace can save us. And James says, you need to know where sin comes from. It comes from deep within. And he pictures it here like some horrible scene, either from a horror movie or actually often, which is even more terrifying, a natural history program. I don't know if you're a fan of natural history. You know one of those natural history programs when the antelope is just gently skipping across and you're watching this little antelope and it's mummy and it's skipping across and then Attenborough cuts back to the cheetahs and you don't know whether to switch to another channel or not. You know, I don't know, I could really watch this. And then this killing happens, and it's horrific, hunting, destructive killing. Look at how James describes your soul. It's more horrifying than any horror movie or natural history program. Verse 14, we are tempted by our own desires. We are dragged away, and we are enticed. And then from that desire, sin is born, and from sin comes death. And how often people in our generation, they decide what is good from what they find within themselves. That's paganism. Isn't that what's going on all around us? People look within themselves and they see their own desires, whatever those desires might be, and they define what is good and evil by what they find inside themselves. And people even say things like, God made me this way. 
How can this desire be wrong if God made me this way? Which is a 21st century way of saying, verse 13, God is tempting me. So it's not really my fault. And James says, with all the wisdom of God, this is sin. And you will not find goodness inside yourself. You will not find the way to life inside yourself. If you follow who you are by nature and the desires of your heart by nature, you will give birth to eternal death. That doesn't matter whether you're straight or gay or a gossip, you will die. Because within the human race is this deep principle of evil. That's where sin and evil come from. And so James says to us, don't be deceived. Verse 16, he's taught us that sin comes from deep within us, and so as we close, goodness comes from God. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Evil comes from the heart of man. Our world is ravaged by darkness that comes from the heart of darkness, which is the heart of man. And James says that goodness comes from God. The God who is true holiness and perfect light and in whom there is no darkness at all, is showering down on his rebellious creation his goodness and mercy. That's the good news of the gospel. It's the good news of God who is both creator, redeemer, and perfecter of his creation. Jesus said, didn't he? God makes the sun to shine the good and evil. He makes the rain to fall on the good and evil. The sun, the, rain, the sun only has to shine for three days in Northern Ireland at anything more than 20 degrees, and someone will say to you, it'll be good if we had some rain. And what does he do? He pours rain down on us. And who does it fall on? Like if you're a Christian family and your next door neighbor is not a Christian, do you look outside and they didn't get any rain? No, no, he pours rain down on us. He pours sun down us. He gives us every good and perfect gift. He gives us gifts of his creation that feed our bodies. And he calls us to know he is good and he will not change. Verse 17, these gifts come down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. See, that's the thing about the human race, isn't it? In its rebellion and sin, it is completely unstable. I mean, you know this from your own experience. You can be going along at a perfectly good equilibrium. All can seem well, and then all of a sudden, something can overcome you. Some incredible anger or deceptiveness or lust can take control of you, and you can just suddenly be like a different person. Don't you know that? You're like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And you think to yourself, where did that come from? And James says... God does not change like shifting shadows. The shifting shadows there is really a metaphor for us. 
We are those shifting shadows who constantly change, but God does not change. What a horror it would be if God could change. If God could be holy one day and unrighteous the next, God could be light one day and darkness the next. But the gospel proclaims the great good news that the God who is infinite and eternal is unchangeable. God is utterly immutable because he is perfect in every way and therefore does not change. And therefore, the one who was the father of lights is the father of lights, will always be the father of lights. He is always good because he possesses all goodness in himself. And out of his goodness, he pours goodness onto his creation. And it's not just the gifts of his creation that he gives us. James will say later in this chapter, speaking of the freedom that comes to a true believer, he says in verse 25, he talks about the freedom of God's perfect law. In this world of rebellion against God, where we we really don't know how to live and we don't know the way to live, and, and there are so many paths before us, the Bible says God has given us his law, which leads to life. The law of God is like those rails that the train runs along. I love trains. I love trains when they're on the rails. I have never thought going to work in the morning, I really wish this train from Portdown would go into Craigavon Lakes. I love railway lines when I'm on a train. And the law of God is the track we are to live on so that we can run and get to our destination. And because God is the Father of the heavenly lights and He is good and there is no harshness in Him, He gives us His laws. Now, of course, in our rebelliousness, we kick against His laws and we don't like His laws, but the church can only proclaim the goodness of God's laws and God's ways. And then supremely, the one who has given us every good gift in creation. And who has given us his law as the guide for our lives has supremely shown his goodness to us in giving us our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the human embodiment of divine goodness. The Lord Jesus Christ, who is light in whom is no darkness at all, who is the light of the world and the Savior of the world. James has a glorious phrase for him. Not all brothers would refer to their brothers like this. James refers to his brother, the Lord Jesus, in chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, Here is the ultimate gift of God's goodness and mercy. The Lord Jesus, his eternal son, who bore our humanity in order to bear our sins. Jesus, who is able to deal with all our darkness, who is able to transform our fallen hearts, verse 18, by planting his word of truth deep within us, so that what is born out of us is no longer this monstrous thing that leads to death in verse 15, but now the first fruits of a new creation, life by the Word of God. 
Because goodness, Jim says, comes from God. Goodness in creation, in God's law, and in God's salvation comes from God who cannot change. And that is the good news and the only good news that we have for a world that is hurtling towards destruction. A world that is accelerating its rebellion against God. It is turning its back on goodness and finding deep within itself a power it cannot control that will take it to death. So brothers and sisters, do not be surprised when you experience the ongoing reality of evil within you. The gospel announces the good news that this evil will one day be fully removed from us, but not until we get to glory. And until we get to glory, although that evil has been dethroned and no longer rules over us, that evil is a reality within us. Do not be surprised by it. So if you are being tempted by evil at the moment, hear the warning of James. It will drag you away and entice you. It will give birth to sin and it will grow up and it will die. And so if you are struggling with evil deep within you, could I encourage you, seek help from someone who cares from you, for you and understands your predicament. Speak to one of the ministers or to an elder in this congregation or to a friend who gets this. And you will not be judged when you go for help. You will be strengthened and encouraged to resist evil and go God's way. So if you are struggling with evil, seek help. You cannot fight this on your own. You need the encouragement and the help of your brothers and sisters. And do not be surprised in our society, which has rejected the Lordship of Christ and His Word, when you see evil growing up all around you. Oh, be horrified by it, and do be horrified by it, but do not be naive. Everything that is possible is coming. Everything that is possible is coming. If you do not believe that, look at the history of the 20th century. Look at the history of nations very close to this nation. Look at the type of evil that grew up and created death in nations very close to ours in generations that are still alive today. When we overthrow the lordship of Jesus Christ and the authority of his word in our lives, in the life of our, lives of our nation, the life of our nation, everything that is possible is coming. And it's only by God's mercy that it doesn't. And so, brothers and sisters, that makes it ever more urgent that we remember that our chief calling as God's people is to hold out the word of life to a generation that's perishing. James tells us here in verse 18 
that the only way to life is through the Word of God. It is only through the gospel of God proclaimed by the church of God that the life of God comes to a dead world. Without the word of God taking root in the souls of men and women and boys and girls, all we have is death. And the glorious good news of the gospel is that the God who made all things is remaking us through his word. And so, brothers and sisters, now that we know that evil comes from within the human heart, and we know that goodness and life only come from God as He plants His word of truth deep within us, will we pray? And will we work? And will we give? And will we give our lives? that we will see this life of God through his transforming gospel word, this life of God come to people all around us. You know, the greatest encouragement for us often is to remember history. And the greatest figure in the history of the Western church is Augustine of Hippo. Augustine, who was a bishop in Hippo in North Africa in the fifth century, the greatest theologian the church has ever known. Augustine, who wrote the first autobiography, he called it his Confessions. And what is so encouraging is that Augustine, when he became a Christian, was a godless pagan man. He was living with a girl that he'd shacked up with. They had a child together. He had rebelled against his mother. He broke his mother's heart. He lived a godless, arrogant life. He went to a rock star job in Milan as a professor of rhetoric, a well-paid public appointment that would brought him much fame and wealth. And when he went to Milan, he went to see Ambrose, the Bishop of Milan, because he was sure that Ambrose would want to meet him. He went there as a proud, arrogant, godless, immoral, pagan man. And he wrote in his confession that when he met Ambrose, he said, Ambrose was kind to me. Ambrose was kind to me. And God rescued Augustine from sin and death, and brought him to life. And what God did through him was glorious. Brothers and sisters, it is not us and them. It is people that we can show kindness to, that people might be rescued from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's Son. God, who is the Father of lights, and who does not change. God is very good at saving sinners. Look at you all. God is very good at saving nations. Because where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. You now know where evil comes from. It comes from deep within our souls. 
And you all now know where goodness comes from, from our Heavenly Father, who gives good gifts in creation, in His law, and supremely in His Son. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your love, Your mercy, and Your truth. We thank You for Your goodness in creation, in the giving of Your law, and in the giving of Your Son. Lord, You have poured Your goodness upon us. Father, as we treasure the Lord Jesus Christ together this evening, we rededicate ourselves to His service that in every act of kindness and gentleness and love, we might see people come into your eternal kingdom through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.